Well, it's lovely to be with you all here this evening. And please do have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this evening. Let me just uh, really briefly pray for us again as we come to God's Word. Father, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts, would you open our ears that we might hear from you this evening? Father, would you help me to speak clearly, to speak truthfully, to speak reliantly upon you? Amen. I wonder, who is the most powerful person that you have ever met? Perhaps the CEO of the company that you work for came into the office one day and you got to meet them. Maybe your claim to fame is that you've met the king or perhaps the queen or the prime minister. Well, in our passage, in Mark chapter 1, what we see is ordinary people like me and like you coming into contact with the Lord Jesus, the most powerful and important person who ever lived. And as Jesus interacts with these ordinary people over these verses, we see his authority on display. We see his authority over sin and the effects and the harm that sin does. And we're going to consider our passage under three headings. We're going to see Jesus' authority in three particular ways. We'll think about Jesus' authority over us, over people. We'll think about Jesus' authority over darkness. And then we'll think about Jesus' authority over disease. And as we go through this passage, we'll hopefully see that that Jesus' authority isn't something that we need to be scared of, but that rather it's a reason why we can willingly and joyfully submit to him. So first of all, Jesus' authority over us. Have a look at verses 16 to 19. There we see Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. We can imagine him looking out across the waters and he sees two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John, fishing. And he calls them. He says, come, follow me. That call there is not a polite invitation that you can turn down. No, this was more like a command, a summons to them. One commentator said, the four men reacted as though they had been issued orders by a superior officer. It's a little bit like if at school the head teacher comes into the classroom and says to you, Jones, come with me. You leave the room because of their authority. You go with them. Now, at this point in the narrative of Mark's gospel, the calling of the first disciples, it might feel a little bit like it comes out of the blue. And it's likely that the disciples hadn't yet met Jesus before he calls them. And I wonder, how would you feel if someone you hadn't met before walked into your office, said, drop everything, leave the family business, I'm going to give you a new job? How would you feel? Well, Mark doesn't give us a lot of information about the calling of the first disciples. But actually, Luke, in his gospel, he tells us quite a bit more. And Luke tells us that there was a miraculous, great catch of fish that Jesus enabled to happen. And after that, the disciples follow him. And when we bear in mind that miraculous catch of fish, 
it makes sense why Peter and these other disciples give up everything that they have to follow Jesus. They've just seen something amazing, this miracle happen in front of their eyes. But Mark doesn't tell us that. Mark gives us the highlights reel. He gives us the bare bones. He says Jesus called and the fishermen obeyed. Why does Mark only show us the highlights? Well, it's possibly because Mark here is highlighting, he's drawing our attention to Jesus' authority. Someone who can call a group of people, people who have hardly met them before, to drop everything, to leave their job and their family, well, that person must be special. They must have some status, some power, and some notable authority. And this theme of Jesus' authority, it's built upon as you go through the rest of Mark's gospel. And we see that Jesus' authority extends beyond people. We'll consider that in a moment or so. But for now, we need to be aware that Jesus didn't just have authority over people back then, but that he has authority over people now. Christ has authority over me and over you. Here's some well-known words from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, speaking about Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So who is under Jesus' authority? Who should respond to his commands in the way that these fishermen do? Well it's all of us. Every knee should bow before him, and every tongue should acknowledge that he is Lord. If you're a Christian here this evening, then that's not going to be new news to you. That's something you know well. But if you're not a Christian, then Jesus' claims of authority might sound oppressive. They might sound perhaps dangerous to you. After all, submission is not something that we like in the West today, is it? We're told that it's your right to live your life in the way that you choose. As long as you're not hurting anybody, then you're the captain of your soul. And actually, when someone comes along to us and says they have the right to tell us what to do, we get upset and we want to throw off those shackles we're trying to be put under. But the authority of Jesus over people, over me and over you... Is actually wonderful news. It's good news. Sometimes it might be said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I'm sure you've heard that saying before. We don't need to look hard for instances when people in positions of power and authority abuse their power. They hurt those under them. Maybe that's your experience. Yet look at how Jesus uses his authority. He uses his authority for the good of others. Power hasn't and never will corrupt him. When Jesus calls these fishermen to follow him, he's drawing them into his mission. And he gives them a task to do. He says they will be sent out to fish 
for people. These fishermen are going to be amongst the first New Testament gospel ministers. These are the guys who are going to have the task of taking the gospel, the good news of how we can be reconciled to God, to the nations. And in their gospel net, they're not going to be catching fish that are going to be killed and eaten, but rather they spread a net and they offer new life in Jesus to all who will believe their message. By calling these men to himself, Jesus was calling them to the one who has the words of eternal life. And as well as through them, he is seeking the salvation of others. Jesus was using his power for good. And Jesus is still using his authority and his power today for the good of his church and the glory of his name. He is still speaking to and commanding his church about what we should be doing in his service. And he speaks to us today by his spirit through his word. So we might ask ourselves the question, are we listening to Jesus? Or perhaps we might ask another question as well. Are we expectant that Christ will speak to us today as we open up our Bibles and meet with him each day? Why not, before coming to church on a Sunday or heading out to your midweek small group, spend some time praying that God would meet with you as you sit under his word? Why not pray that he would give you an expectancy that you are going to meet with him as you come and gather with his people? And then why not, after church, spend some time reflecting on the service, the words that we've been singing in the songs, the words that we've heard in the prayers and in the sermon, and asking God, Lord, what were you laying on my heart there? And reflecting upon that and praying that over with him. Jesus' calls to his disciples was something that they could only answer yes or no to. There was no sitting on the fence when it came to answering his call. Maybe the disciples could have sought excuses that would have allowed them to stay in their fishing boat. Perhaps they could have said, but who will help with the family business? How will we earn our money if we leave these boats? Peter was a married man. How would he provide for his family? I wonder, is there anything stopping you today from following the call of the Lord Jesus? Anything that is keeping you in the fishing boat? If we don't follow the call of Jesus, then we are saying no to him and the reconciliation with God that he offers. And secondly, we're going to see that Jesus has authority over darkness. Jesus has authority over darkness. If you have a look uh, over verses 21 to 39, that next section or so in your Bibles, then you'll see that we read three times there that Jesus drives out a demon or multiple demons. Over again in these verses, we're told that Jesus has authority over dark forces. He has authority over darkness. And the authority that he has over darkness, over, over these demons, is total authority. When he orders these demons to leave people, they have no choice but to obey. And when he commands them to be silent, they have no choice. They cannot speak. 
Jesus' authority is not like the authority of a cricket umpire or a tennis umpire. If you watched any of the Ashes or Wimbledon earlier on in this summer, then occasionally you'll see players challenge the authority of the umpire. They'll appeal to their technology, and sometimes the umpire's decision is overturned, and the players get their rule their way. Jesus' authority cannot be challenged. Jesus' authority, on the other hand, is a little bit like the authority that your TV remote gives you over your TV. If it's all working properly, when you press the volume up button, the sound gets louder. If you turn it off, the TV turns off. The authority is total. And these demons are spiritual beings in league with Satan. There are and were many of them, and they're wicked in varying degrees. And these demons stand opposed to God, and they hate both the plans of God and the people of God. And in the Gospels, we see demons causing people to to hurt themselves. They cause social isolation. And they attack both children and adults in the Gospels. And before we go any further, we need to note that that sometimes Christians have been hurt by other well-meaning people if they've been accused of being affected by a demon when that's not the case. And we need to be really careful when we're talking about things like demon possession. And we need to be really slow if we were going to accuse someone of being possessed. We live in a world that is fallen, where things go wrong, and where things go wrong that aren't the result of demonic activity. But saying all that, demons are real, they are powerful evil spirits, yet before the Lord Jesus, their power is stripped away. Their sinful desires and their sinful aspirations, the harm they cause to other people before the Lord Jesus, is ended in a moment by his command. Three times in our passage, Jesus encounters demons or impure spirits, they're interchangeable terms, And each time, he has the final word. Have a look at verse 25. We'll go through each three uh, in order. We see Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And this man says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus tells him to be quiet and then drives the demon out of the man. Verse 34, Jesus drives out many demons and he doesn't let them speak either. And then in verse 39, right at the end of our passage, we see that Jesus has driven out more demons and presumably told more demons to keep quiet. It's a little bit strange, isn't it? That when Jesus is driving out these demons, he orders them to keep quiet. He doesn't allow them to speak. Why is that the case? Well, partly because the demons knew who Jesus was and the people didn't. And it was Jesus' decision when people should find out who he really was. Across the rest of the Bible, we see again and again that God has authority over dark spiritual forces. Think of the beginning of Job, when God clearly sets the boundaries over how far Satan can go in attacking Job. Yet for us here in the 21st century West, in Nottingham, When we read passages like this from Mark's gospel, they can seem perhaps really distant. 
it comes across maybe as if we're reading a fantasy novel or something that we've maybe seen in a film or a fantasy show on telly. Talking about demons and possession, it seems maybe outlandish, maybe outdated. But the Bible is clear over and over and over again that we live in a reality where there is more than th that exists than just what we can see. So where does this leave us then? Well, I suspect that for many of us, our temptation is not to go to our local bookshop and buy a book on witchcraft. It's not going to be to fill out a horoscope in a magazine or a newspaper. But maybe we just need a reminder that the universe that we exist in has active and evil forces that stand opposed to Jesus and therefore stand opposed to us as those who follow him. And maybe as uh, if you're a Western Christian, maybe the danger that we might fall into is that we live our lives as if all that exists is that which we can see, touch, taste, smell, and feel. We go, the material world is all that exists. We forget sometimes that we're caught up into a spiritual battle with an enemy prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Maybe our... our culture's unhealthy fascination with unbiblical spiritual practices doesn't concern us. When it comes to things like demons, it's, it's wise to be innocent, but not arrogant. Innocent in the sense that we don't want to go and mess around and play with things that we shouldn't. But we don't want to be arrogant in the sense that we dismiss their existence or take the topic lightly. But in Jesus' authority over dark spiritual forces, we see another reason why we can willingly and joyfully submit to him. Because he is the one who drives out darkness. He did this partially during his earthly ministry, as we see in our passage. But as Christians, we have the wonderful, certain future hope that one day Christ will drive out all the darkness from this world and all the darkness that exists in our own hearts as well. Sometimes we sing, take away the love of sinning. Well, as a Christian, one day that prayer will be answered as we will sin no more, as we will not even want to sin anymore. And then thirdly, we see that Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus doesn't dr just drive out many demons in this passage, but he also heals many people. After teaching with authority and driving out the demon in the synagogue, Jesus goes back to Simon and Andrew's house where Simon's mother-in-law was ill. We, Jesus goes to her, he takes her hand, he helps her up, and the fever leaves her. And we see evidence of this miraculous healing in, in the sense that she begins to wait on them straight away. You can imagine the difference. One moment she's ill in bed, maybe she's sweating, her fever's possibly due or related to malaria. And then the next moment after Jesus meets her, she's up and about, she's caring for them. Imagine the joy for Simon and his wife as they see their family member restored to full health. There must have been such gratitude in that household towards the Lord Jesus. I wonder if you've ever had surgery, successful surgery, um, have you ever met the surgeon afterwards? 
If you haven't, what would you want to do in that moment? Well, you'd want to shake their hand and say thank you. I had an operation when I was 10, and I can still remember uh, my doctor or my surgeon, Dr. Bruce. I can still remember his name. And then skipping further down our passage, we see that once the sun had set, the end of the Sabbath, the whole town gathers at the door of Simon's house. The town maybe had between 100 and 600 people living there at the time. We can picture this constant stream of local people being brought to Jesus and him healing each ill person. Imagine the the joy and the excitement as people who were once really poorly were healed. They walked home well again. Imagine maybe the desirable people to, to be at the front of the queue as they were waiting to be next to Jesus. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Doctors might specialize in maybe one area of medicine. But Jesus was able to heal any and every disease that he saw. Nothing stumped him. And in these incidents, we see Jesus' care and his compassion. It was after sunset in the evening. He'd already been teaching earlier in the day in the synagogue. But despite that, he still cares for this whole town. But what about today? Can Jesus still heal people today? Well, it's a big question, and we won't go into it fully now. But the answer to the Bible is yes, but. Yes, in the sense that Jesus' power hasn't diminished. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. But just before he still has the same care and compassion upon his people, doesn't mean that it's always God's will to make people better, even when they pray. If this is a topic that you're wrestling with, that you're struggling with, maybe you're ill or you're no family or friends who are poorly, then let me encourage you to talk this through with a church leader or a trusted Christian friend. And when we're praying for those who are ill, let me encourage you not just to pray for their healing, but to pray for their character as well. To pray that through their struggles, God might grow them to be more like Christ. They would be a shining witness to him. And remember that in Christ we have a saviour who knows what it is to suffer. A man of sorrows and familiar with pain. And we remember that as painful as this topic is, that one day Jesus will drive out all darkness from this world and he will drive out all disease. If you're a Christian here today, you have the hope of one day having suffering behind you. When the old order passes away and there is no more crying or weeping or pain. Wonderfully, there will be no more hospitals or hospital appointments in the new creation. No more illnesses, physical or mental. It's wonderful, isn't it, to to read and think about Jesus' authority over darkness and over disease. To see how before Jesus, sin and its awful effects are reversed. There's so much there to encourage us as Christians. But the last two verses of our passage help us to see the bigger picture. After Simon and his companions go out to look for Jesus, they find him. And Jesus responds to them. He says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out 
demons. For all of the ill and the possessed people in our passages, the healing that they received from Jesus was temporary. Yes, it was life-changing, but it was only partial. All of those people would go on to suffer in other ways. They were still going to live in a world that was broken, and ultimately, each one of those people was one day going to die. They experienced a partial, a temporary deliverance from brokenness through Jesus. Yet Jesus was proclaiming, Jesus was preaching a message of ultimate and total deliverance from sin. Of ultimate and total deliverance from the effects of sin, from darkness and pain. And it was as people heard and then responded in repentance and faith to that message that they received something so much better than temporary and partial healing or deliverance as they received eternal life and reconciliation with God. We look out, don't we, on a broken and a hurting world. We open our phones, we read the news reports, and there's so much pain, so much pain that we actually become numb to it. We live in a world that seems to be shrouded by darkness. Yet we're challenged to remember that the greatest need of each and every person is to repent and believe in Jesus. And be reconciled to God through him. And like Christ, we should seek to help with the very real suffering that people experience in the present. Where we can, we should seek to alleviate darkness and and fight disease. Those are great things to do. But ultimately, to love people well means that we must speak into into their deepest need. To be reconciled to God through hearing the gospel and then by responding in repentance and faith. Let's pray to close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the goodness of your authority over us. Would you help us to walk more closely and more submissively before you? We thank you for your authority over darkness and disease and we long that day when we will be with you, when all things will be restored. And Father, would you help us, would you lay upon our hearts a concern for the lost, that we would see and know and feel that the greatest need of each and every person is to come before Christ and confess their need of him. Amen.